And I absolutely love that song. Um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to John chapter 9 this morning. That's where we're going to be, John chapter 9. And while you turn there, I'm going to introduce myself. My name is Stephen. If you don't know me, I'm Brianna's husband. That's normally how it goes. But I want to thank Pastor for giving me the opportunity to be able to preach this morning. It's been a, a year since I've preached, and um, I'm pretty nervous this morning. I'm not going to lie. The first time I ever preached, I cried through the whole sermon, so hopefully that doesn't happen this morning. Um, but if it does, just bear with me. We're just going to cry together as a family, okay? That's what we're going to do. But I did win the preaching contest I was in. I think everyone felt bad for me, and I won a free Bible out of it. So maybe I'll get a free gift if I cry the whole time this morning. Um, but again, I want to thank Pastor for the opportunity. And I also want to thank you, Church uh, River City, for uh, investing in me and Brianna since we moved here about, about a year ago. You know, I, I came from a church in Arizona coming out here to kind of uh, revitalize my life and ministry to try and move forward and, and grow and potentially pastor one day. And I needed to come here and I needed to learn under pastor and he's taken time to invest in me and pray for me and help me study and help me get more equipped uh, to be able to pastor one day. But not only has that happened since we've been here, we've been able to develop some genuine friendships and relationships and people that love us and invest in us as well. And so I want to thank you, church, for allowing me and Brianna to be here and to do that. And so if you've got your Bibles open this morning, John chapter 9, we're going to find ourselves in verse number 35 through 41. We're actually going to cover the whole entire chapter, all 41 verses this morning. So we're going to buckle up, buckle in, and get ready, okay? So John chapter number 9, verse number 35, starts saying this, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said to him, do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see, and that those who may see may be made blind. And verse number 40 is where we're going to get the title of our message today. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, are we blind also? Verse number 41, Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. For just a few moments this morning, church, I want to speak to you on this subject. Are we blind also? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to be able to preach, Lord. I hope and pray as we cover this whole chapter this morning uh, that you be with my words, Lord, and help me get across the message that you have for us today. And we'll be careful to give you all the glory, the praise, and the honor for it all. In your name we pray, amen. Now as we navigate through John 9 this morning, we're going to be introduced to four different people or people groups. We're going to be introduced to the Pharisees. We're going to be introduced to a blind man. We're going to be introduced to the disciples. And we're going to be introduced to Jesus. And Jesus has a unique approach to every single person that we're going to encounter this morning. And we're, through this amazing story, we're going to find one simple truth. That Jesus came to preach and deliver his message of truth in the face of a contagious pharisaical movement. A movement that diminishes God's grace and love. A movement that leaves us spiritually blind and trapped to our own ideas of what we think Christianity really is. We need to realize before we jump in this morning that it's a dangerous place when our ideas outweigh God's ideas of Christianity. 
It's a dangerous place when our ideas of Christianity outweigh God's ideas of what Christianity is all about. That's why Proverbs 3, verse number 5 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not unto your own understanding. And my version that I take it is, hey, dummy, don't trust yourself, just trust Jesus. Because when we take things into our own hands, I'm not going to lie, I normally just mess it all up. But if I trust Jesus with it, there's no telling what he can do this morning. So as we jump in, we're going to notice point number one, the overwhelming need for Jesus, as we see in verses 1 through 12 of John chapter number 9. Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind, that man with clay. So let's take a moment real quick and just say this. Everything about Jesus is amazing, even his spit apparently. His spit's even anointed, amen? So we're going to find here in verse number 7, and he said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, he is like him. He said, I am he. Therefore they said to him, how were your eyes opened? He answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. Then they said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. We're introduced to this blind man here in uh, John chapter 9. And the only thing that we know about this blind man at the, is that he's been blind from birth. This man has gone his entire life without eyesight. Just imagine with me, he was probably told more than likely on a number of occasions that there's going to be no hope for you to ever see. You were born this way. The statement that you'll always be blind probably echoed in his head every single day. He heard the gossip of people accusing him or his parents of some type of hidden sin and that God cursed him because of his blindness. We find even the disciples feel this way in verse number 2. They said, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? A castaway, a nobody, a man with an illness that he could never fix, a man with an overwhelming need for healing. But I'm glad verse number one opens up and says this, now as Jesus passed by. Jesus showed up and radically changed this blind man's life, so much so that he was unrecognizable to the people who knew him before he was blind. The only thing that this man could say about his blindness and his healing is that he was truly healed, and we find that in verses 11 and 12. This man had an overwhelming need for Jesus to show up and transform his life. And can I tell you this morning, church, Jesus was the only one that could do that. Jesus was the only one that could come to this blind man and heal him with clay and tell him to go to a pool to wash his face and he would have eyesight. Jesus was the only one that could do that. And can I say this this morning, church, that we all have an overwhelming need for Jesus, just like this blind man. Listen, church, we are this blind man. 
One commentary put it like this, the condition of the blind man parallels our condition before we were saved, outside of the temple and shut out from God. Blind, unable to see the Savior. Blind from birth that we were born in sin. Beyond human help and a beggar. Meaning that salvation's not for sale, it's a gift. I remember when I was a seven-year-old boy that I was sitting in a church service similar to this, and I recognized the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and I sat down with my pastor afterwards and realized that I was a sinner in need of a Savior, just like this blind man was. But Jesus shows up and transforms this man's life. And just like this blind man, I and you, church, have an overwhelming need for Jesus. But even after salvation... You see, it doesn't stop at salvation, my friends. My journey with Jesus doesn't start before salvation. It starts after salvation. And it continually grows from there. When Jesus showed up in this man's life, he was forever changed. And so should we. He begins to transform us and change us into becoming more like him and into something new. That's why 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We should become unrecognizable just like this blind man. But there's a call to action we find here at the beginning of uh, uh, verses 1 through 12 here in John chapter 9. After Christ had showed up in this blind man's life, he gave him a clear direction on what to do. Go wash in the pool of Siloam. It's translated sent, as in where the water was sent from the town. This is just a picture of the submission that the blind man had to Christ already. Within this miracle taking place, Jesus gives us an eye-opening account and statements in verse number 4 and 5, how the night is coming when no man can work. Let's look at verses 4 and 5 real quick. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I And the light of the world. Jesus is meaning here that death is coming one day. For Jesus, it was just a few months away. For some of the disciples, it was a few months away or a few years away. And my friends, our death is imminent. Either Christ is going to call us home or we're going to be buried six foot under. That's just how this life works. You and I don't know how much time that we have left. But Christ showed up and healed this man just like Christ might have shown up and healed us. But this blind man was told to go and to do something with his new miracle. My friends, has Christ showed up in your life and healed you like this blind man and told us to go? Yet, we remain complacent of what God wants us to do. Psalms 90 verse number 12 says this, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We don't have much time, my friends. So what are we doing with it? I saw a pastor say this one time, sometimes I joke about what I'd do if I only had one day left. Eat junk, go crazy, etc. Today it hit me, Jesus knew, and he washed feet. Jesus knew, and he washed feet. What an amazing miracle. And I'm afraid that for some of us who've been in church a long time, we start to get used to these miracles that Jesus performed in his day and age. But I'm telling you, my friends, that I believe the Bible. Do you believe the Bible this morning? And I believe that Jesus did all of these miracles within the Bible. So that means I know for a, I don't know 
uh, for a shadow of a doubt that I believe that Jesus performed this miracle and healed this blind man. Have you ever seen the videos of men uh, getting the glasses that help uh, people who are colorblind receive uh, color? I mean, it's amazing. You got to YouTube it after the service. Just, just Google it. These families go in to buy these expensive glasses to give sight to someone who can't see to help them see color. And you get it and you see these, uh, these individuals, their reaction to the first time they've ever seen color. I'm telling y'all, it is an excitement that you've never seen before. It's tears of joy. It is a miraculous thing to be able to see this. And this man was born blind and received his sight. You would think an all-out party would be happening. You would think the disciples would be rejoicing. You would think the Pharisees would be rejoicing. But that's exactly the opposite of what happens. Moving into point number two, we find the symptoms of spiritual blindness. We see this in verses 2 and verses 13 through 34. In verse number 2, the disciples say this, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? We find that the disciples and the Pharisees are looking at Jesus was about to do and what he did completely wrong. First, before the miracle had even taken place, the disciples are accusing this man or his family of sin. And because of that sin, this man is suffering from blindness. God has cursed him because of this sin. Whether it was sin he was hiding or sin that his parents were hiding, God cursed this man is what the disciples were thinking. And this was a common belief in that day. Exodus 20 verse number 5 says this, You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I the Lord your God am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. That's where this belief came from, was from Exodus chapter number 20. But it was taken completely out of context. This was meaning the leaders, the people who were in charge of the nation who hate Christ, the third and fourth generations will suffer because of that, not because the parents sinned. Do I believe that some people suffer because of their sin? Oh, yes, I do. Do I believe that some people suffer because of others' sin? I do. But church... It's not our job to assume. It's not our job to assume what people have done. It's our job to encourage them while they're going through it. But Christ clears this whole mess up here in John chapter 9. He gives us exactly why this man was born blind. And he says it here in verse number 3. Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. It's as simple as this. So that God would get the glory. This man was born blind so that one day God would get the glory. That God would be able to be praised. And I'm here to tell you this morning that whether you're suffering, suffering spiritually, whether you're suffering physically, whether you're suffering mentally, God can get the glory in the roughest of situations. Your testimony or, or your story could one day change someone's perspective of what Christ really is. Keep your head up because suffering is not always in vain. Romans 8.18 lets us know that. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. I remember when I was a 14-year-old boy, my, my father got diagnosed with a brain tumor, inoperable at that point. 
And from 14 to 16, where the brain tumor was, it completely affected his taste buds. It completely affected his attitude. From ages 14 to 16, my dad became not my dad anymore. His attitude completely changed. His way of life completely changed. He lost his job because of it. As a 14-year-old boy, I had to go to work. So I started working at Chick-fil-A. Free food, off on Sundays, why not? So that's where I went, to Chick-fil-A. I helped pay for my Christian school bill. I helped pay for my car payment. I helped do it all because my dad couldn't do it anymore because he was sick. And from ages 14 to 16, I watched my dad get weaker and weaker and weaker until he really couldn't stand anymore. And so we finally talked to the doctors and we came to the conclusion that we're at least going to try this surgery. The tumor's going to kill him either way. Let's at least try the surgery to see what happens. Well, in the middle of the surgery, the doctor messed up. The doctor's hand cut a little bit more off of the brain than he should have. And my dad never woke up from that surgery. Right after my 16th birthday. What do you do? 16 years old, your hero's taken from you. It's not much you can do at that point. I didn't understand it. I didn't get it. No one could help me. Sit down with my pastor, couldn't help me. Sit down with my friends, couldn't help me. Sit down with mentors, couldn't help me. I never understood why the Lord had to take my father. Never understood it. Until five years later, when my wife's father got diagnosed with cancer as well. My dad was 47, her dad was 47. I was 16, Brianna's youngest brother was 16. I didn't fully grasp the reasons why that the Lord had taken my father until my fiance and her family had to go through the exact same thing. I didn't get it until then. But God got the glory from my dad's death as I was able to be a partial rock for her family to lean on. Because I went through the exact same thing. My friends, our suffering is not always in vain. The Lord has a plan for the things that we go through in life. Don't give up. Don't give up. This man's blindness was because God could get the glory one day from it. And the things that we go through, whether it's a physical pain, whether it's a mental pain, whether it's a spiritual pain. Listen, my friends, God can get the glory out of it just like this blind man did. So don't give up. It may take some time, but the Lord has a plan for your story. Don't miss the bigger picture like the disciples did. Secondly, we find that the Pharisees are opposing Jesus. As usual, that's what, every time we're introduced to the Pharisees, that's what we find. Coming out of chapter number 8 into chapter number 9, Jesus is actually running out of the temple because he's about to be stoned. Because Jesus just declared that he is the I am. John chapter 8 verses 58 and 59 says this, Jesus said to them, most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. So the Pharisees are already upset at Jesus at this point. He just declared that he was the I am. He just declared his deity in the temple at that point. And then on top of that, the day that Jesus heals the blind man, oh God forbid, is on a Sabbath day. Is on a Sabbath day. 
The Pharisees run Jesus out of the temple. Jesus healed this blind man on a Sabbath day. I can just imagine the Pharisees' minds are just blown at this point. They can't understand why someone just disgraced their God and someone just disgraced their rules of healing someone on a Sabbath day. It gets a little bit deeper than that. The healing that they're talking about is not miracles either. It's if you broke your ankle, you can't even go to the hospital until Monday. It's weird things like if you were to light a candle on Saturday, you couldn't blow it out on Sunday. That's too much work. If you wore a sandal that had a little bit of weight in it, you couldn't walk with that sandal because that's too much work on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees are just freaking out at this point. But I love the blind man's attitude as we see in verse number 27. He answered them, I told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you always, do you want to become his disciples? You see, the Pharisees are interrogating this blind man and his parents for over 21 verses because they don't understand why Jesus was to heal someone on the Sabbath day. They didn't get it. They didn't understand it. They couldn't comprehend it. Man, I love the blind man's attitude here. It's a very sarcastic answer. Why do you want to know? Do you want to be his disciples too? They didn't understand it. What the Pharisees are doing here is this, this is what they're saying. Obeying the traditions of man is more important than witnessing the miracles of God. Obeying the traditions of man is more important than witnessing the miracles of God. They didn't care that a blind man was healed. They cared because it broke their law. They didn't care because it wasn't their idea of what the true Christ was supposed to be. We find that in John chapter 9, verse number 16. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. But I'm glad Matthew chapter 12, verse number 8 says this, for the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. God can do what he wants to do on the Sabbath because he's Lord over it. Just like the disciples, the Pharisees are missing the bigger picture here. The disciples couldn't look past the man's blindness, and the Pharisees couldn't look past Jesus' miracle in this story. And we find through both of these groups of people that spiritual blindness is missing the bigger picture. Spiritual blindness is missing the bigger picture, and God's bigger picture is people. God's bigger picture is people, not procedures. God's bigger picture is people, not traditions. God cares about people, and God loves people, and doesn't care what they look like, it doesn't care where they came from, and he doesn't care whose feathers it ruffles when he's going to love on people. Can I ask you a question this morning, church? Where is your love for people compared to Christ's? Where is your love for people compared to Christ's? When someone new walks in the church, are we filled with love for them or judgment? Or do we even notice? When pastor wants to try a new outreach, are we filled with love for the people that we might reach? Or are we more worried about the time it might take away? When someone doesn't look exactly like we want them to, or act exactly like we want them to, or dress exactly how we want them to, are, are we okay or just offended? 
I know this stuff might sound silly, which it is, but our fleshly nature takes over, doesn't it, church? And we get blinded by the fact that other people aren't living up to our expectations. You see, all this material and traditional stuff doesn't matter as long as we are trying to love people because that's God's big picture. Isn't that why he sent his son to die? For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Not that's which that wears khakis. Not the people who have a certain type of haircut. Not the people who look a certain way. God came to save everybody. And God loves everybody. And if we are to be Christ-like ones, so should we. We should look past differences and love them for who they are. And if we are trying to love people and to reach people, that means this room is going to be filled with differences. And diversity is a good thing. I'm glad that the church of God isn't limited to a color of skin. I'm glad that the church of God isn't limited to a certain dress code. I'm glad that the church of God isn't limited to a certain Bible translation or a certain way of outreach. Because God's church is bigger than that. God's church loves people. No matter the differences. Come as you are. Weird and everything. They let me in the door this morning. If they let me in, you're sure welcome. I promise you. God's church loves people. And that's what we should be care about. That's what we should care about. Don't be blinded by procedures and traditions, church. Like the disciples and the Pharisees. And miss the big picture that God just wants us to love people. Which brings us into the last point, And then we'll wrap it up. The convicting question presented, and we find that in verses 35 through 41. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who may see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? As we journey into the last few verses of this chapter, we find that the Pharisees just won't accept the fact that this man was truly healed. So what do they do? They throw him out. They throw him out of the church because this man started to believe in Jesus and that was just not okay. They won't look past the idea that this man is a cursed man. The blind man tried to tell them over and over and over again what happened, but they wouldn't listen. They wouldn't listen. But Jesus had heard that they cast this man out, and Jesus came to this blind man's rescue. But far greater than rescuing him from the religious crowd, he rescued him from a place called hell as well. He showed him the value of a true relationship with Jesus. A relationship grounded in love and not judgment and assumptions like the Pharisees. But Jesus took advantage of this moment as he was leading this blind man to the Lord and began to explain to the Pharisees why he actually came. We see in verse number 39, and he explains that outside of being physically blind, that you can either be spiritually blind or religiously blind. You don't know God or you think you know God, but you actually don't. 
After hearing Jesus speak these words, the Pharisees took a reflection on their life and asked this question, are we blind also, sarcastically? They didn't mean it with a genuine heart. They're looking at Jesus and asking, well, are we blind also? They think that crossing all the T's and dotting all their I's means that they are right with God when they're missing the whole entire picture of what God's all about. You see, this is what happens when we confront religious blindness. It's aggressive. It's rude. And it has all the answers, and you're wrong no matter what. You're wrong no matter what you say. It's a war to disagree on things. Unfortunately, we can find ourselves in one of these two categories that Jesus is speaking of. We can be spiritually blind, far from God, having never put our faith in Jesus or trusting him for our salvation. And can I tell you this morning, church, that if you are in this category this morning, being, being spiritually blind, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you in spite of you. Can I get a witness? No matter how far you are, no matter what you've been doing, no matter where you're at this morning, church, Jesus still loves you. And Jesus still cares about you. And Jesus still wants the best for you this morning, church. And if you are in that category of becoming spiritually blind and never having put your faith and trust in Jesus, can I tell you that's the best decision that you'll ever make. Or, in a separate category, we can be religiously blind. More worried about everyone else's mistakes and casting unnecessary judgment according to our own ideas of how Christianity ought to be. If you won't mind, take your Bibles real quick this morning and turn over to Matthew chapter number 15, if you have your Bible. If not, listen on. Matthew chapter number 15, verses 1 through 14. Matthew chapter number 15, verses 1 through 14, says this. Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the traditions of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandments of God because of your tradition? For God commanded you, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses uh, father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites, well did, I, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. When he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand. Not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. Then his disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. Verse number 14, Let them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. My friends, we make 
this Christian thing a whole lot harder than it needs to be. Just keep your eyes on Jesus and love people. And if we're not doing that, then we're doing it wrong. It's as simple as that. Keep our eyes on Jesus and just love people. The Pharisees didn't get it. They asked the question sarcastically, are we blind also? Filled with pride and anger and arrogance, they didn't care about anyone but themselves. And when something wasn't done exactly how they thought it should be, they grouped together and threw out God's big picture. Let's not be like the Pharisees this morning. With a humble heart, we should ask ourselves, are we blind also? You see, I would rather spend the rest of my life loving people than worried about how they did something wrong. Because my love will point people to Jesus, but my judgment will turn them away. Let's make it a little bit personal this morning. Am I blind also? It's easy to get filled up with traditions and lose sight of what God is all about. It's easy to wake up and be more worried, more worried about our hair than it is to come and worship the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It's easy to come in, sit down, and not do anything else. That's taking the easy way out. But it's hard, as we find here in this story, to be more worried about others than we are ourselves. That's hard, church. It's hard stuff, but it's worth it because we're fulfilling God's big picture. When we keep our eyes on him and worry about loving other people. I'm going to ask Aaron to go ahead and come on up here.